Hello recording. We have just watched a Bible Project video. Go to YouTube, type in Gospel of the Kingdom, the Bible Project video, um, for context. Watch that and then come back to us. So, uh, there are too many tabs. Here we go. So this term, our series, is called Truly Human. Um, and it's about how this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, it affects every day of our lives. Uh, so it, like, it restores us and it transforms us to, so that we become truly human, which is how we're always meant to be. Um, so we're going to be working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, uh, and just contains some really practical, wise teaching from Jesus about what it means to live this way and like, be truly human. Um, so yeah, Sermon is in chapters, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. Um, you will have a reading plan. I will send it on the WhatsApp thingy because I don't have it open in front of me and uh, run out of screen space. Uh, I'll send it on the WhatsApp and your parents have it in an email. They have the link. So if you can't access that, then chat to your parents. Um, and so that reading plan will work through these three chapters. Like all the time that we're covering this topic, you'll go through them every two weeks uh, and look at them in a different way each time. So by the end of this series, you'll have read through that passage four or five times. Um, and the idea is that you actually start to remember it, like it starts to get in your heart and change your life, because that's what the Bible does. Um, so, anybody feel like reading a little bit for me today? So you don't have to keep hearing me. Charlie, would you be a lamb, be a gem, be a doll, and read for us, um, if you start in chapter 4, verse 23... And then go through to chapter 5, verse 2, and leave it on that cliffhanger. That would be snazzy. All right. Have we all have we all got Bibles in front of us so we can follow along? If not, you can pull it up on the interwebs. Charlie's starting in Matthew 4, 23. And we'll assume that you're there. Go for it, Barlow. And then he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people, uh, demonstrating and revealing that he was indeed the promised Messiah. So the news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were sick, those suffering with various diseases and pains, those under the power of demons and epileptics and paralytics and people of them. Large crowd follows him from Galilee to Jacobolis. Beautiful. And Judea and the other side of the Jordan. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Next verse. He began teaching them, saying. Da da da! So, um, brief pause. So, in this sermon, it's like Jesus is explaining his previous actions. So, he's been wandering around healing everybody. Um, and then he sits down on this mountain and for the next three, three chapters, he's like telling them what it was all for. So he's explaining that these healings, they're like a physical demonstration of this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, um, that the kingdom of God is here. And so this sermon is going to go on to explain some of what that actually looks like in our ordinary lives. So it's like Jesus is saying, right, you've just seen me bringing healing and wholeness, like life to the full in this really obvious physical way. But it actually extends beyond the physical. It's about the heart too. And, and your whole lives, there's even more. So let me now tell you about all of that. Um, so we will keep reading. I've actually asked Megan, you got your passion? To, okay, I'm going to ask Megan to read verses 3 to 12, which are what we call the Beatitudes. Um, 
and I asked her to read it because she has a passion translation of the Bible and I read this chunk in like seven different translations and this is like it made sense to me when I read it in this translation in a way it hadn't done before um, so I just thought it might be helpful to you guys as well oh and I have so this is my um, table format of what you're about to hear go for it Megan okay here we go what happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For theirs is the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord? For you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you? For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. For you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will be open to see more and more of God. How joyful you are when you make peace, for then you will be recognised as a true child of God. How enriched you are when you bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right, for that is when you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy, since your heavenly reward is great. For you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. Lovely. Thank you, dear. So I'm sure, I'm sure that Jesus had these like matched pairs for a reason. Um, and that's something for you to ponder on your own time. For now, um, I the way I think of these currently um, is that it's like descriptions of a whole character that leads to a whole experience. So you could... Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. There we go. Technology. Cool. Thanks, Ethan, for the heads up. Um, so you could say, you know, you are happy and delighted and blessed and satisfied and joyful when you crave righteousness and make peace and your heart is pure um and you and you're waiting on god because then you'll find what you long for and you'll inherit the earth and your eyes will be open to see more and more of god and you'll be surrounded with fruitfulness it's like like this whole this whole character this whole middle column is almost like describing one one thing one character one heart attitude and it leads to then the experience like one life experience in the right hand column um so I think it's just important to know that Jesus isn't saying do the things in the middle column and then God will bless you. It's not like when your parent says clean the kitchen and then I'll give you a fiver. Like you've got this action and this reward that's a completely separate thing and you have to earn it. You have to do something to get it. It's not like that. That's not how this kingdom of heaven works. Um, so Jesus is saying this stuff, doing these things, that's where contentment and satisfaction already are. Um, so because I'm me, I need to tell you about the Greek word. Uh, so in your translation where it's got in this column, it's got happy, delighted, blessed, enriched, satisfied. My translation, the ESV just says blessed. Uh, and yours might say that too. Uh, in Greek, that word uh, that we're translating blessed is makarios. And it's a word for which there is no straight English translation, uh, which is why the passion's done it in so many different ways. And which is why we can struggle with these uh, beatitudes, I think, just understanding them. So the word makarios that's translated blessed, it kind of means like content and happy. And like when everything is right with the world and like you, you know your place in it and you're in your happy place, like you are makarios when that's how you feel. 
Um, and that's the word Jesus is using for all of these things. Um, so, yeah, he's not he's not saying there's some kind of external blessing that you'll get given, like as a reward when you do these things. He's saying these things are just like they're it, it's it's like you're in your happy place. You're in this contented place when this is your character. And it's just like a natural result of this character. Um, so it's not like we have to pay these kind of prices to get something out of God. It's not like I have to make sure I'm feeling my spiritual poverty in order to really uh, have the realm of heaven's kingdom or something like that. Um, it's just like a natural result of, of living this way and having a heart that looks like this. Um, so, yeah, to me, these Beatitudes, they feel like a summary of everything else that Jesus is going to go on to talk about in the rest of this sermon. Um, so like this is kingdom living. This is what it what it looks like, this character and experience that Jesus modelled that you see in the middle column. Uh, and then the character, sorry, the character that he modelled in the middle column and then the experience that you see in the right hand one. Um, he, he grows that same character from the middle column in us by his Holy Spirit. And so therefore we can almost expect, not almost, we can expect that experience in the right hand column um, because that's what he's doing in us. So that's my ramble on that. Um, has anyone got any questions about whatever I just said? Um, are there any of them that particularly stand out to you? Any that you relate to? Any that make no sense? Anything at all? Looks like Megan has a question. Just go for it. Don't stick your hand up. Just unmute and yell. Sorry for being polite. Um, I was wondering if you could... This is maybe a mean question, but just ground it in an example. And not, not necessarily an example of your life, but just like a generic, like, my name's Bob kind of example well you put me on the spot yeah i mean if you have one i'll take it because all i'm going to say is i see this in jesus like just reading through matthew the last couple weeks um like you do see him waiting on god and you see how gentle he is and you see that his heart is pure and that he's making peace not in like a the way that we do tolerance at the moment like you just kind of have to say to everybody that everything they're doing is fine and and like we think of peace as the absence of conflict but he understands that peace is actually something deeper and something more and comes from being right with god um and that that may involve some conversations that are tricky um but he does he does make peace like i see i see jesus doing these things um, and I see then that his life is fr fruitful and, and he does see God and he is obviously the true child of God um, and experiences heaven's kingdom and the rewards and stuff. Um, and he does honestly strike me as like a contented individual. Um, like just the way that he goes about his life and moves around the world. Like I just, I, I see this teaching and I go, this isn't Jesus just talking some rubbish and saying something, well, saying something that sounds smart or or saying something that, he thinks sounds really good but then you kind of go home and you go okay well what do I do with that like he's he's talking about it because that's his life like he knows this because he's experienced it and because he's lived it um yeah I mean I have some friends there are friends I have a couple of people I know who like whenever they walk in a room it's like the room just suddenly fills with love like they just they just embody the love of Jesus in such an amazing way um so Georgia Johnson, who none of you know, is one of these people. Um, like whenever, I haven't seen her in years, but whenever she walks in a room, I'm instantly like, in, my mood is 10 points higher than it was before. Um, and I think that she is someone who has just, she's got this in a way that I probably have yet to. Um, and uh, again, I'm reading all of this and I'm like, I can see how that plays out in Georgia's life. Like I can see how she, how she actually lives this experience. 
Um, and none of that is probably a very helpful answer to your question, Megan, because it's not very practical. I can only point to people in whom I see it already, um, rather than giving you kind of step-by-step -step things. But I think that's what Jesus is doing here, so that's probably actually not a bad way to ask the question. That's my thoughts. Anyone else have any thoughts? But tell me if uh, I'm getting the wrong end of the stick here, but from what you've just said and from looking at this, from me reading it, it's just like Jesus is just so secure in his identity as a son of God. I think that it almost like it's that that oozes out. Like he, when you feel comfortable and secure in, for example, a, a family, you know your love and your cherished and your uh, values and it's just, for me it sounds like that yeah that's helpful thank you any more reflections for anybody or questions silence cameras off Oh, all right. Well, we're just past eight, so do go if you need to. But um, I will stay here and talk, and then it will be on the recording if you wanted to catch up later. Um, cool. So, chapter five, where are we? Verses 13 through to 16. Anybody feel like reading? Four verses? I'll read them then, because they're in front of me. Uh, okay. Where are we? Chapter, not chapter, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So I suspect that you've all heard that before at least once. Um, if you are a church regular, you've probably heard it a lot. So I wanted to ask, what do you think when you hear that? Like, maybe you could tell me what it says in your own words or give me some stories of when you or somebody else have, have been this salt and light or you've just understood it in a different way. Tell me what you think about it. Ethan's headphone wire doing something interesting. Look at all this thought going on. So deep in thought that you haven't even remembered to turn on your microphones. I love it. I mean, I could just tell you like a couple of my thoughts, but then you're just going to be listening to me a lot, and I'd rather hear from you guys. So I'll wait another minute. I won't do Dale's Lemon Song for the recording. You're missing some excellent dancing. Okay, I'll just keep going then. Um, so, here are my thoughts. Um, when we live as part of God's kingdom, like reclaim our true humanity, as we're saying, um, we are salt and light to the rest of the world. So I think salt and light are really obvious things. You can't miss them. So um, I don't need to explain that. That makes sense. Um, and they're things that we like. So, you know, a meal is really bland to us unless it's got salt in it. Uh, and we like light because otherwise it's really dark. And for some of us, that's scary. Um, so I think what part of what Jesus is saying here is that we are obvious and like attractive demonstrations of this good news, this gospel of the kingdom, uh, which I think is really cool. I mean, there is a warning in here for us, um, but it's not that we have to be, we have to try really, really hard to be this salt and this light. And we've got to watch out because if we mess up, 
then we're like the salt that's lost its saltiness and we're going to be trampled. I don't think that that is Jesus' message, like, oh, I'm going to be careful and make sure you're doing the right things and stay in the lines and stuff. I don't think that is what he's saying. Um, I think he's just saying that we can't, we can't do this to ourselves. We can't change ourselves and make ourselves these like obvious attractive demonstrations of the kingdom. Um, we just say yes to the one who can, to, to God, to the Holy Spirit. And so I think that the warning is more that we need to allow that to happen in us and in our lives. Um, like we need to allow these words of Jesus to take root in us and to shape us. And we need to let the Holy Spirit poke at things that we don't want to change. And um, we need to let him have the things that we don't really want to let go of. Like we need to keep on saying yes to God. Uh, and that's one way that I would define what it means to be truly human is just saying yes to God, to this king of ours every single day. Um, so that's how I am currently reading and understanding this particular salt and light thing from Jesus. And I'm going to go ahead with the next chunk unless somebody interrupts with something. Cool. All right. Is anyone holding an NIV? Because I don't want Charlie's weird amplified thing. And I don't want a TPT. And I don't actually want my ESV. I think the NIV is a good for the next. I can find an NIV. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you to read it, so maybe don't show it to me unless you want to. James, was that a volunteer, or would you rather not read to us? Four verses, the last four. Rather not read, fair enough. Megan's waving. You go for it, Megan. Um, verses 17 through to 20. Love to. Okay. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. But truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Lovely. Surpasses. Good word. Cool. Thanks, Megan. Um, so I think it could be really easy for us to misunderstand this chunk, so we're just going to walk through it. Um, so when Jesus talks, when, when anyone in the New Testament talks about the law and the prophets, they're basically referring to the Old Testament. Um, so if, if you really want to know, they, the way that they broke it up is they talk about the law, which are the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, that Moses wrote, and then the prophets, of, you know, the, the prophets, and then they have the writings, which are like the wisdom literature and all the things like that. So they have the law, the prophets and the writings, but they tend to refer to them as just the law and the prophets. So when someone says the law and the prophets, they're basically referring to the Old Testament. Um, so it's everything that God has revealed to his people, all of their history and everything that he has commanded them. So three things about um, like the law, the Old Testament, whatever you want to call it, that I get from this. Um, firstly, the law is important. Jesus is here as Jewish people would have been very convinced of that. And everything he said so far is probably going to be quite shocking to them. They're like, wait, is he saying we get rid of the law? Because that's a problem if he's saying that. Uh, so he addresses that. He starts it with, do not think that I've come to get rid of the law. Um, he's saying... If you remember from what Megan has literally just read, so hopefully you do, um, he's saying that he actually fulfills this law. It's like he, he completes it. He's like the pinnacle, the conclusion, um, and everything that it was pointing to. He's saying the law was all about him. It was all leading up to him. 
Uh, second thing, the law is good. So Jesus says until heaven and earth themselves are gone, the law is going to remain. It's going to stay. It's really good. And relaxing the commandments is a bad thing and doing them or teaching them is a good thing. So the law is important and the law is good. Uh, but thirdly, the law is impossible to keep. So the scribes and the Pharisees referred to rightly in there. Um, they were the ultimate example in Jesus's day of like the super religious, super holy types, like the people who get to church three hours early and they're still there at dusk. Like the the crazy, the crazy religious ones. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, they had like a bunch of extra rules on top of the law that God had given them because they loved rules so much. And they were like, no, we definitely got to make sure that we keep God's law. So we'll have all these extra rules around them just so that like we don't go anywhere near the boundary lines of where we should. Uh, they kept to the letter of the law as closely as any human being could. But Jesus says, unless we're more righteous than them, we'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that then seems pretty hopeless. And this is the dilemma of humanity all the way through the Old Testament. You've got this good God who gives a good law. Hello, aeroplane. Um, that teaches humans how to relate to him and how to relate to one another, how to be truly human. Uh, but we can't we can't do it. We can't keep it. We just fall short. Um, and that, that is a problem, that's our dilemma. So the key for this passage, I think, is at the end of verse 17, where Jesus says, I've come to fulfil them. Jesus fulfils the law. Jesus has kept the law perfectly. Uh, and he is the embodiment of a true human. He's done it. The law is complete, it's fulfilled, it's made sense of in Jesus. And when we choose to follow Jesus, the Bible says that we're united to him. It says we become one with him. And so the things that are true of Jesus are true of us. So it can now be said of us that we are righteous, that our righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, we are holy, we are truly human, which is mental and crazy and enough reason to be praising God for all eternity. Um, you can you can praise him when I stop talking in a minute. Um, so Megan's doing a little praise break there. So what does this mean for us then, this passage? Do we need to keep this Old Testament law if it's if it's good and important and stuff. And I think the thing to understand is that the cross, Jesus, when Jesus died, is so, so pitiful. Pivotal. Pitiful. Pivotal. Um, everything is different depending on which side of the cross you're standing. So in the Old Testament, keeping the law was about gaining access to God's presence and gaining access to relationship with him. So if you wanted to know God and you wanted to be right with him and be truly human, you had to keep the law in order to get to that place. But this side of the cross where we're standing, everything's been turned on its head. And now we start in that place of knowing God and being righteous and holy and truly human. Through Jesus, we already have access to his presence and to relationship with him. And then as a result, that changes everything about how we live. Uh, there are these promises all the way through the Old Testament that God is going to write his law on our hearts. And it's something that people in the Old Testament were like waiting eagerly for. There's these promises that it's just going to become more to us than a set of rules. It will become to us the way that we want to live and the way that we see and understand the world. And those promises are also fulfilled in Jesus and in his Holy Spirit. Um, and when we put our faith in Jesus, when we start following him, his Holy Spirit comes to live in us. So we actually have God living in us, teaching us how to relate to him and how to relate to others, which is absolutely mental. So... No, we do not need to keep the letter of the Old Testament law, which some of you will be very glad to hear because there are some laws that you wouldn't want to keep, um, because it is written on our hearts now and we, we can follow the promptings of his Holy Spirit in us. Hopefully that makes sense of that passage to you. Um, 
Right, let me just finish and then I will release you all. So, in the rest of this sermon, uh, Jesus pulls on some of the strings of this Old Testament law and shows us what it looks like for us now in our hearts. Uh, he shows us how to live on the other side of the law's fulfilment, the other side of the cross. And by obeying him, and faith, uh, good to see you. Um, by obeying him and obeying the promptings of his Holy Spirit, we are keeping his commandments. So as we work through these things in the following weeks, I think it's very important to note these are not like the 10 steps to be a good Christian or the things that we have to do in order to become a part of this kingdom. Uh, these are ways that we respond to what Jesus has done. This is how we can live now that we are these redeemed new creations and we've been restored, already restored to being truly human. So, yeah, it's not a list of rules that you have to keep. That's not what following Jesus is about. It's about this heart attitude that we are seeking and asking him for. Um, yeah, so this chunk of Jesus's really wise teaching that we're going to be looking at is not the full and final word on, on living this way. We need the whole Bible for that. Uh, and it's about our whole lives, not just about the things that Jesus happens to talk about here. So we are going to keep coming back to this one question. Um, we'll be discussing a few specific things as we work through. But really what we're asking you is, are you seeking Jesus's wisdom in every area of your life? Um, in Isaiah 55, I'm going to read it in the message. We're just blazing through all the Bible translations today. I love this one. I read the Psalms in the message. It's um, kind of like Megan's passion in the same idea, but it's just, yeah, it's very poetic anyway. So reading the Psalms in it, I find very helpful because the Psalms are poetry. So Isaiah 55, which is just a couple of chapters on from back when we started with the video. Um, God says, hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway, buy and eat. Come buy your drinks, buy wine and milk. Buy without money, everything is free. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Listen to me, listen well. Eat only the best, fill yourself with only the, fi only the finest. Pay attention, come close now. Listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. So God is saying, why waste your money on things that don't satisfy? Why work so hard? For things that aren't really what you're looking for he's saying he is the only place where we find things that are truly life-giving and life-nourishing uh, in my esv that last phrase is translated here hear what i'm saying so that your soul may live which i love like he wants our souls to live we're not just built to get through the day and just survive we're meant to live we're meant to like live deeply every part of us awake and content um or as jesus phrases it in john 10 10 live life to the full uh, and God is saying to come to him for that and listen to him for that. So that is my encouragement to you as we work through this series, just to listen to him and his life-giving words. Uh, and don't limit that to just Friday nights. Like come to him every day with every situation and ask for his wisdom and ask for his life. And that is everything I wanted to say. You may be delighted to know. Um, are there any questions or thoughts on everything we have just covered? And I'm going to go ahead and find that reading plan while you're not speaking to me. And then That's very that will fill the time. I'm just going to ask, there might be a question for another time because I need to go and get some check-in. Um, I know that we've stopped a bit, going back a bit. What do you think that... You think, do you think... I'm trying to, maybe I'm taking it too literally, but what do you think that means? Do you think it is just because it's an obvious thing that we all know about and we use? 
would think it represents being like I don't know. I've heard different into I've heard different takes on what it means. Mm. Like, what do you think? <laughs> That's not the question, actually. Um, no, I was well because I sometimes think about it in you know if you get salt in a cut, it really hurts, but it's healed it. I was thinking, like, when I thought, when I first read the passage first time, I was kind of thinking about people might not always like what we have to say, but it gives life, but that's just one thing. Mm. I've always thought of it as flavour. Like, that whole living life mm. it. Like, a dish without salt is really boring, but a dish with salt has flavour, and God wants us to have the most flavorful life and, and a life that looks from the outside like really exciting and whatever is still held in comparison to a relationship with God like it's all just fake in comparison to the true flavor of life that you mm. Does anybody else have different interpretations of that? Oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more, guys. <laughs> no, it's cool. Yeah, I think there are um, a lot of different ways that you could interpret it, and I think they've all got something to them. Like, Jesus uses metaphors for a reason. Um, yeah, I think they're just really helpful to us. <laughs>